This podcast contains graphic content and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Katie. And you're listening to Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. What's been going on today? Nothing today. Other than me trying to decipher what Taylor Swift is doing today with her little vaults for 1989 Taylor's version. Yeah, we've been we've been all up in it. Yeah. And um, you're redoing your episode. Yes, because, you know, most of what I did had been deleted. Correct. So I've been Things rushing. wouldn't go any other way for us. It wouldn't. It's like some of the weeks we're just not meant to put it out on the day we're supposed to. But we try. We do. We do try. Um, but yes, I, I think like when my laptop died and I plugged it up, I, it went through like an update and I think that's the problem. And it hadn't saved. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, cause I was like, my, my laptop's died before and it's just booted right back up to where it was. Mm-hmm. But I think where it went through that update, it just erased everything. Sealed so, the deal. so Sealed yeah. The deal. Yeah. It died. I plugged it up and then bam, you have an update. So. <laughs> <laughs> And all of your stuff is gone. Yeah. But I thought today I would do another serial killer. There's plenty to choose from. There are, unfortunately. And this one has recently been in the news again. And it's not an old case, like relatively old. In fact, it's it was just in the news a couple of years ago. But it's resurfaced due to a couple of celebrities. Cute. Yeah. But I will get into that uh, a little later on. Okay. It's the early morning of August 14th, 1993 in Glenview, Illinois. And Rick Picaccio is heading out the side door of his home to walk the family dog. The first thing he notices is his daughter's shoe sticking up. And then he sees her lying on the porch covered in blood, clutching her house keys. His beautiful, smart 18-year-old daughter, Trisha Picaccio, had been stabbed to death. Trisha had been out that night with some friends. It was their last hurrah before college started, and they went their separate ways. Mm-hmm. Trisha had been a straight-A student and had planned on studying engineering at Purdue University. After the night with her friends, Trisha came home between the hours of 1 to 2 a.m. As she walked up to her doorstep, she was ambushed by her attacker. The attacker twisted her left arm so hard that it snapped. Ow. Yeah. Then they proceeded to stab her 47 times. Trisha had fought her attacker, which was determined by the DNA under her fingernails. Although that was of no use to police at the time because DNA technology was still very new. Unfortunately, police had no suspects and no leads. Of course, they interviewed neighbors, family, and friends, but nothing came of it. They hit a wall. No one knew 
Who would want to hurt Trisha and why? Trisha's case quickly became cold. And the case would remain cold. That was until 2001. In 2001, 22-year-old Ashley Ellerin was a fashion student in Los Angeles, California. She was a student of Los Angeles Fashion Institute and also took classes at UCLA. Busy girl. Yeah, she was described as being fearless and determined to make something of herself. Her and her friends shared a small house just a short walk from the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Nice. Yeah. She even caught the eye of a few celebrities. One of those celebrities being Ashton Kutcher. Now, during this time, Ashton Kutcher, who was 23, was starring in the show called That 70s Show. And he was also in the movie, Dude, Where's My Car? I love that movie. I remember my dad and I watching that movie. <laughs> I, I like, never, it's so stupid, but it's so funny at the same time. I've never seen this movie. You've never seen Dude, Where's My Car? No. Okay, that's on the list. You've got to watch this movie. <laughs> He met Ashley through mutual friends and asked her if she would like to go get dinner and drinks. He said he would pick her up on the night of February 21st. Do you know what else was happening February 21st, 2001? No, I was a year old. (laughs) True. (laughs) I have no idea. The Grammys. Ashton told Ashley that he would pick her up after the Grammys after party he was going to, you know. No no big deal or anything. Yeah, I'll just come to your place after I leave my Grammys after party. Yeah. I've been like, bitch, take me to the after party. Exactly. What What is it like? Famous people only? Why can't I go? It was your plus one. Ashley had spent that day with her dad, who was in town to visit her, and her landlord also paid her a visit. But this wasn't any regular landlord drop-in. The two had actually been seeing each other on and off. And had actually slept together that evening. Yeah. When evening came and it was time for her date with Ashton, Ashton called her around 8.30 and explained that he would be later than expected and that they would only have time for drinks. Ashley didn't mind this and continued to get ready for her date. She had actually just gotten out of the shower when Mm -hmm. he called. At 10.15, Ashton called Ashley to tell her he was on his way, but she didn't answer. He got to her house a short time later and knocked on the door. However, no one answered. He looked around and noticed her car was in the driveway and the lights were on in the house. He peered in one of the windows and noticed it looked a little messy, but didn't think much of it. She had told Ashton that she had been remodeling, so the mess didn't seem weird to him. Right. He also noticed what looked to be wine spilled on the floor, but no Ashley. Ashton left and figured that A, she went out without him because he was late and like just stood him up. Or B, she was upset with him for being later than expected and just went to sleep or just simply wouldn't come to the door. Mm -hmm. But oh, how wrong Ashton was. Because when her roommate came home the next morning, she found Ashley's body lying on the floor outside of her bedroom, covered in blood. Ashley had been stabbed 47 times. Her head was almost severed and with some of the stab wounds being six inches deep. Damn. Ashley's family provided police with the names of her friends and acquaintances. But Ashley had a lot going on in her life. She knew a lot of people. There were a lot of people to talk to and leads to weed through. One thing that police knew for sure was that Ashley would have let her killer in, which meant she probably knew her killer. Mm -hmm. There was no forced entry, and also her house was pretty secure. 
it was double gated and also had what looked to be like bars over the windows mm-hmm. like nothing like it was just these white bars i'll post pictures on social media was so it like an it. older house yeah it kind of looked older because i know the older homes sometimes they would build those in like for structure yeah in houses right on windows and stuff so it would not have been easy to get into right the question now was who would ashley have let in that night there were two people on the top of that list they talked to her landlord but he was quickly ruled out i'm not sure why he was ruled out so quickly i'm not sure of the details but he was no longer a suspect Mm -hmm. they also wanted to talk to ashton kutcher who by now realized that what he saw in the house that night was not wine on the floor i knew that was coming but blood Hmm. he was more than happy to talk to the police because his fingerprints would have been on the door handle and he was nervous that he would be like the prime suspect Mm -hmm. (laughs) but after they asked him some questions they ruled him out there were a couple of leads that stood out when they talked to neighbors and friends though a neighbor told police that they thought they heard shouting shortly after 8 30 p.m but chalked it up to it being a party or just people being rowdy the other lead was a name that her roommates gave to police and that was mike the furnace man her roommate stated that ashley was just creeped out by this guy and he was always bugging her he was always turning up out of the blue and it took some time but police were finally able to get this mike the furnace man's name and his name was michael gargiulo as police were trying to locate michael they get an interesting call from cook county sheriff's office in illinois See, it was during this time that they were reopening some cold cases. Mm-hmm. And Trisha Picasso's was one of them. They wanted to talk to everyone that police had originally spoke to during the initial investigation. They also wanted to get everyone's DNA and compare it to the DNA found under Trisha's fingernails. Because science had advanced from 1993 to 2001. And one of those people that they were looking for was none other than Michael Gargiulo. Hmm. And you're probably wondering what he would have to do with Trisha's murder. Illinois and California aren't exactly close. Mm-mm. Well, come to find out, Michael was one of Trisha's neighbors in 1993. What a coinkadink. Yeah. And was actually pretty good friends with Trisha's brother. He was one of the people that police had interviewed in the beginning because he was so close to the family. Mm -hmm. So they call the Los Angeles police and say, basically, hey, we have this cold case and we're wondering if you could help locate someone who might be able to help. And they give Michael's name. And the Los Angeles police were basically like, that's weird. We need to talk to him, too, for our own murder case. Hmm. Yeah. Police compare Ashley and Trisha's case, and it's obvious that this wasn't a coincidence. Both were nearly stabbed 50 times. Both were killed at home. What was already a pressing matter of finding Michael and talking to him became urgent. Mm -hmm. They eventually find Michael, and obviously they want a DNA sample. Michael refuses to give them anything without a warrant and adamantly denies any involvement in either case. I'm shocked. Yeah. Police were not giving up that easily, though, and they watched Michael and kept tabs on him. An opportunity arose for police when they learned Michael had recently had a hospital stay. They wasted no time in getting his DNA from that. Hell yeah. 
When it was tested, it matched the DNA under Trisha's fingernails. Mm. And this is where you would think, hey, we got them. There's your proof. DNA, baby. Can't argue with that. No. But it wasn't that simple. The district attorney's office refused to indict Michael. Why? Well, even though it was his DNA, they said it could have been swapped through casual contact since he knew Trisha and her family. Trisha didn't have anyone else's DNA on her, though. Under her fingernails. Right. She didn't have her friend's DNA on her. She didn't even have her boyfriend's. Just Michael's. But still, it wasn't enough. And with Ashley's case, they didn't have anything to test against. So, they had a positive DNA match for Trisha, but Ashley, they didn't have any physical evidence to tie uh, Michael. I just don't understand their logic with it, like, underneath her fingernails. Like, Mm -hmm. what, does she just walk up and greet people and scratch them? I I don't know. I guess it was just one of those things where where defense could easily explain away to a point. Yeah. I don't know if a jury would believe it, but I... I could also see them not wanting to take a chance. Right. But with that, Michael was free. No charges were filed. Police knew they had their guy, though. It just wasn't a coincidence that this man was connected to both girls like this. No. They needed to know absolutely everything they could about Michael. Everything about his history. Michael Gargiulo was born February 15th, 1976. He grew up in Glenview, Illinois. He's from a big family with seven brothers and sisters. However, his childhood was far from idyllic. Michael would say that him and his siblings suffered physical abuse from their dad, mm-hmm. which in turn created a pretty angry kid. Mm-hmm. He was known as a bully and a compulsive liar. His personality would switch on a dime, like he would be pleasant one minute, and then according to a friend, he would just turn almost inhuman. He would get into trouble a lot. He would break into unlocked cars at school and got into a lot of fights. He also had a fascination with Ted Bundy and would often study forensic science. So this was obviously a very troubled kid. After Trisha's murder, Michael started acting odd, to say the least. He started randomly giving gifts to the family and even showed up one day to talk to Trisha's father, Rick. He acted like he really wanted to tell him something. But when Rick got home from work... Michael left before he could ever say anything to him. Hmm. Trisha's family did report this to police, but police never questioned Michael about it or looked into it further. In 1997, Michael got arrested for stealing a car, and during that interview, they asked him again about Trisha's murder, but he wouldn't talk. Some of Michael's exes said that he was extremely abusive to them. I could see that. Yeah. One girl, he punched so hard in the face that her retina detached. Oh my god. He told her he would kill her and get away with it because of his knowledge of forensics. Another girl he handcuffed to a bed and sexually assaulted. What a shit stain. He's literally a shit stain on a bed. He is. This man was obviously very dangerous. History of violence, abuse, theft, and lying. But why and when did Michael go to L.A.? How did he meet Ashley Ellerin? Well, Michael went to L.A. for the same reason a lot of people do. To become an actor and a model. I knew you would laugh at that. I knew. <laughs> Once you've seen him, like, <laughs> you, you'd laugh too. I know. It's funny. Guys, just look up a picture. It's very <laughs> comical. <laughs> Bitch. So in 1998, that's what he did. Upon arriving to LA, Michael got a job as a bouncer at a bar. That didn't last long, though, because 
and this will probably come of no shock to you. He punched a customer in the face, but his fellow bouncers would later say that they had an interesting conversation with Michael once. Mm. He asked them if he, if they had ever killed someone before and then straight up admitted to killing Trisha. He said to them, I buried a bitch. I left a bitch on the steps for dead. My first thought when hearing this was, why didn't you report this? Really? But the bouncer said that at the time, they thought it was just another one of Michael's lies. Because remember, he was a compulsive liar and often exaggerated and just made up these wild stories. Yeah, I get, I mean, I, I, I'll give him that. Like, Yeah. So how did him and Ashley meet? Ashley Ellerin met Michael one day in 2000. She was living down the street from him and had a flat tire, which he helped her with. They exchanged numbers. And for Ashley, this was probably not a big deal. But for Michael, Ashley quickly became an obsession for him. He would stalk her home and show up at places where she was, like I had mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. It just blows my mind that with the DNA evidence connecting him to Trisha and his stalkerish behavior towards Ashley, that nothing could have been done to get this guy off the streets. Right. But unfortunately, they just didn't have enough for an arrest. They didn't want to blow their chance of putting him away for good. But that didn't mean they stopped working on on the cases. Mm -hmm. They continued to work, and Michael continued living his life in L.A. It's now 2005, and 32-year-old Maria Bruno just moved into her new apartment complex with her four children. She had recently left her husband, Irving. She had recently left her husband, Irving. She loved her new apartment and was excited for a new start. However, that new start would never happen. On December 1st, 2005, just literally 10 days after moving into her apartment, Maria's ex walked into her apartment and found her lying in a pool of blood. Maria had been stabbed 17 times. Her throat had been slit and her breast had been cut off and her implants removed. What the fuck? I know that's so just disgusting. The only piece of evidence police had was a surgical shoe cover that had some of Maria's blood on it. The point of entry that the killer used was the kitchen window. And then the killer proceeded to use one of Maria's own knives to kill her. It was determined that her killer was left-handed. This is clear escalation, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good lord. Now, of course, Irving, her ex, was the first suspect. Of course. You always suspect the ex or significant other first. I say this all the time. Mm -hmm. Her and her ex were not on the best of terms. So, of course, police look hard at Irving. They even found a couple of drops of of Maria's blood in his car. However, he explained that him and Maria had been trying to work on things and had been out to dinner that night before her murder. He said the blood was in his car because she cut her finger at dinner. Even some of the wait staff came over to help her, so that backed up what he was telling police. Mm -hmm. Police ruled him out, but in doing so, didn't have much to go off of. They hoped more evidence would be found on the shoe cover. They spoke with neighbors who told them about a man who lived in the apartment complex and was just strange. He acted strange, they said. They learned that the person was, and I'm going to let you guess. It's not Ashton Kutcher, is it? It's not. <laughs> it's not. Michael. You are correct. 
Damn. Michael was unfortunately long gone by the time police learned that he lived there. Coincidence? Again, I say no. He just, wow, he just coincidentally comes up in all of these, doesn't he? Right, yeah, exactly. He he coincidentally lives near all of these victims. Crazy. This whole thing just, like, flabbergasted me. Like, there's a whole ass serial killer on the loose by this point. Mm -hmm. It is now April 2008, and Michelle Murphy is sleeping soundly in her apartment in Santa Monica. All of a sudden, a man jumps on top of her and starts stabbing her repeatedly. Michelle, all five foot one of her, is fighting with everything she's got. She gets her hand around the blade, trying to get it from him. Mm -hmm. Then she pulls her knees to her chest and kicks him off the bed. Hell yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He says sorry and then runs out of the room. What the fuck? Yeah, like, Paul, do not accept it, my guy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, going to hold this against you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm not just going to let this one go. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'll hold this against you for a good long while. Michelle immediately calls her boyfriend, who then calls the police. Police learn that her attacker was left-handed, mm-hmm. and because Michelle was able to fight her attacker with the knife, he was cut, and some of his blood was fa- also found at the scene. Mm-hmm. And that blood... <laughs> And that blood belonged to, shock of all shocks, say it, Michael. Michael Gargiulo. Michael the Furnace Guy. Yes, Mike the Furnace Man. (laughs) He's got all kinds of nicknames now, I'm sure. Yeah. It matched the DNA under Trisha's fingernails. Hmm. And also some DNA that was found on the shoe cover in Maria's murder. Hmm. Police also learned that Michael lived near Michelle as well. Oh. Shocker. Jeez. This whole thing. It, this, best, we'll just chalk it up to bad luck, you know? I know. Crazy. Crazy. Finally. Finally, they had enough to arrest this guy. And in June of 2008, Michael was charged with the attempted murder of Michelle. Almost 10 years later. Yes. Damn. Then three months later, he was charged with the murders of Ashley Ellerin and Maria Bruno. They actually found a surgical shoe cover in Michael's car which further solidified that he had killed Maria. Hmm. Michael pled not guilty to all counts. (laughs) This man was trying his best to delay trial. He hired and fired many attorneys. I hate when they do that shit. And even attempted to escape prison a few times. Okay, Ted Bundy, chill out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he idolized him. But he couldn't stop the inevitable. And the trial finally took place in May of 2019. Defense argued that he had mental health issues, which obviously but yeah but so much so that he couldn't remember attacking michelle which that's bullshit always my fucking favorite excuse yeah i didn't i blacked out no you (laughs) (laughs) jury had to decide if michael was sane at the time of the crime jury ended up ruling that michael was sane when he attacked michelle and when he killed ashley and maria Hmm. with this prosecutors were seeking the death penalty if found guilty. Mm-hmm. Prosecution had 36,000 pages of evidence and over 100 witnesses were called to testify, which included Michelle Murphy and Ashton Kutcher. Hmm. The prosecution had a pretty solid case. They had the physical evidence. They had the history of violence. The fact that he is left-handed and lived near each of the women. The defense mainly argued about the murder of Ashley Ellerin, stating... All prosecution had against him was circumstantial evidence, 
with her murder and there was no physical evidence connecting Michael to the scene. So with that, the whole case that they had against Michael was called into question. They also argued that police didn't look hard enough into the landlord. They argued that he had been there with Ashley. They had slept together. Ashley was still in her bathrobe when her body was found. Mm -hmm. So they argue that he's the one that did it, right. essentially, which would be a, a good defense if it wasn't for everything else. Right. And then prosecution argued that, no, Michael had been stalking Ashley. Mm -hmm. He saw the landlord leave and then took that opportunity after Ashley got off the phone with Ashton to kill her. Mm -hmm. That's what they argued. Yeah. The jury did not buy the defense's argument, and Michael Gargiulo was found guilty on all counts, and he was sentenced to death. The only response Michael had was, I'm going to death row wrongfully. I've been framed by tunnel vision detectives. And then he complained about how his right to testify was taken from him, which, whatever, dude. Yeah. He is unlikely to be put to death anytime soon, though. California has not executed anyone since 2006, and Governor Gavin Newsom has halted execution for as long as he's in office. Mm -hmm. But courts have been, like, on the assumption that executions may one day resume. Right. So there was justice for Ashley and Maria and Michelle. But what about Trisha? What about her justice? Mm-hmm. And... You know, it wasn't until, so, you know, when they compared, um, Trisha's DNA with the, um, the blood in Michelle's room. Mm hmm. Don't they compare it with the blood in Michelle's room? No, with his DNA when he went to the hospital. Oh, I thought you were talking about when they used no. it. Okay. So, you know, when, you know, when they compared his DNA that they got from the hospital with Trisha's, mm -hmm. the family didn't know anything about that. They didn't know that there had been that big of a break in the case mm -hmm. until years later and they were pretty upset about that yeah um but you know still charges were never filed because they didn't feel like they had enough at the time but now that he had these he's he now that he had been found guilty mm -hmm. they actually charged him in 2011 with trisha's murder damn straight he is now expected to be extradited to Illinois, but as of right now, as of this recording, I could not find a date um, as to when that will happen. Mm -hmm. It has not been set. So, we're still waiting on that. Yeah. Um, I think this story is a lesson to good detective work. I mean, they did do good detective work, but it's also one of those things where a lot of these murders could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get not wanting to take a chance and try to prosecute him too early. But had he been arrested after Ashley's murder, Maria would be alive. Michelle you know? would have not been attacked. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, really. I feel like, I don't know, I don't know what calls in the legal world for them to have surveillance on him. But I feel like they they could have done that. I mean, they watched him, you know, but th this was years in between. And, you know, it takes a lot of resources to do that. Yeah. Um, but I said in the beginning of this episode that there was a reason why this had recently been in the news. And I'm sure you and all of our listeners have recently heard about 
that 70s show star Danny Masterson mm-hmm. getting, I think he got, what, 30 years mm-hmm. for rape. Um, and Ashton Kutcher and his wife, Mila Kunis, recently submitted letters in support of Danny. Now, say what you will about that. I'm not a fan of it. But no. um, one of his victims, one of Danny's victims, when she learned that Ashton... And Mila had submitted those letters because they were supposed to be sealed and then they were released. Mm-hmm. Or they were told they were going to be sealed and they never were. Um, she basically got on her story on Instagram. And you can look this up. Um, and basically said that she remembers Ashton calling her or calling. She remembers Ashton calling Danny on February 21st, 2001. And hearing about his plan and that she knew, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but like she knew like his secret and that it would ruin him. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not going to go into speculation. I think when we do that, it takes away from what Michael did. I 100% think Michael killed her, Mm -hmm. killed Ashley Mm -hmm. and those other women. But that's why it's in the news, because she's brought this case up again. Yeah. Um, Which brings up the Hollywood Ripper again Mm -hmm. so take what you want from that go look it up it's easily you know you can easily google it what's going on right now but um yeah so that's just a little interesting tidbit i don't know what she's talking about we'll probably never know right you know she um we you know i'm not gonna call her a liar i'm not gonna say it's truth i'm just saying it's just an interesting tidbit right so um yeah so that was the hollywood ripper there we go yeah. Hopefully, um, soon he'll be Hollywood ripped to Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that family definitely needs to see justice as well. Mm-hmm. And guys, we have a little special thing coming up in October. We're changing it up. We're changing it up a little bit. Um, since it is spooky season, our favorite season. Mm-hmm. It's when Katie and I feel the most alive. <laughs> um. <laughs> We are going to do some spooky stories mm-hmm. that happen like in the Appalachia and a- around where we live. Mm-hmm. We're even going to incorporate some of our own weird or scary stories, stories and occurrences. And um, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. We even like made up a new little intro song. And mm-hmm. it, well, I'll say Mikey. Yeah. Mikey made the new intro song. We but, just yeah. helped pick out the sounds that we liked. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it'll be fun. Um, October's the best month. Yeah. So, so it's some of the cases have kind of like true crime in them, but it's not. We won't be like covering like murders or no. Yeah, some of them will. That. Yeah, it's but kind it of won't inevitable. be like particularly about that. It's just gonna be some spooky incident. stuff. Yeah, we're just doing the scary shit around here. Yeah, um, it'll be fun. We're gonna maybe cover some Skinwalker stuff. Don't if, say that out loud. <laughs> if you don't know what it is. Be thankful, but you will learn. Don't say the word out loud. Just say skim talker. That's what I do. <laughs> if you're in the Appalachia and you hear your name or you hear a voice that sounds familiar, if you're in the woods, you didn't. Or baby crime. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't hear it. So that's just kind of rule number one living around here. Yep. Um, We'll go over some stories that happen right in our hometown. Sensible, mm-hmm. um, Rotherwood, all that fun stuff. So. We can't wait. It'll be fun. It will be fun. But next week will be Katie's case. Yes. So. All right. 
talk to you next time. Bye. Bye. We'd like to thank Mikey Kinley for audio and editing and our friend Avalyn Yulaberry for our cover art. Make sure to like and follow us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is m3podcast and you can find us on Facebook under the name of our podcast which is Murder, Mayhem, and Merlot. <laughs>